Well, uh, I echo Mark's heartbeat. There is no place like home. It is so, so good to be back home again. Um, thank you. Thank you. The month of July, Marie and I were going on study break, and, and it, was a, it was a really good month. There was time for some rest. There was more time than usual for family, which was sweet and precious. There was ample time for, for work and dreaming and praying and vision and all that. We got to worship some as we were gone. In fact, one Sunday, we were in one of the most uh, renowned worship uh, churches, one of the most renowned churches that exists these days in the U.S., and, and it was a great place to be, and worship was great, and teaching was great, but it wasn't home. It was not home. As good as it was, uh, I didn't have the experience I've just had the last 20 minutes, and I know there's some factors there. Part of it is when, when home is good, there is no place like home. You just want to make your way back home. There's no place like home. And then partly is, is looking around and seeing faces of people that I know and love and seeing faces of people that in spite of uh, my flaws that I'm known and loved by as well. And then having the great worship team and worship leader we have, there's no place like home. I did watch every video of every service here. I didn't want to miss a thing. I'll say this. You had the best five-week run of teaching you're going to have all year. It was some great teaching. We are blessed with great teachers, aren't we? We're really blessed with great, great teachers. But uh, again, when home is good, there's no place like home. And I'm so very, very glad to be back. I want to begin by reading a passage that for many of you will be very familiar. And so I, I need to ask you to make your very best effort to suspend the familiarity of this passage and do everything you can to hear these words as though for the first time. And then once I've read these words, I want to pray for us and then I want to talk with you about these words. The passage is in Matthew 28. I'll read verses 18 to 20. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. It says this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Father in heaven, I, I know you are so present here. I know your spirit is profoundly present. You know every single one of us intimately. You know the condition of my heart and my mind and the condition of every heart and mind I know we cover such a wide spectrum of spiritual journey, spiritual place, such a wide spectrum of experiences, yet you know every single one of us. And Father, above all, the one thing each of us needs is for your spirit to pierce our heart and mind, mind to pierce my heart and mind fresh. And the same for each person here. And I know you're so capable of that, Father. And so I pray that that might be, and I pray that you would give me simply your words to speak, and you would give me your passion for those words, and that the outcome would be that we would have known that we've been in your presence, we would have known that we have heard from you, and we would have responded with worship and with obedience, and that we might leave as Mark had prayed. We might leave different than the way we came in. I pray this, Father, really with, with high hopes and high expectations. In Jesus' name, amen. In the month of July, our son, Justin, who lives in Dallas, spent 10 days in Germany. He traveled with a small group of friends from his Dallas church and, and went to Germany very much 
uh, intentionally to go as a group and to, to go into um, the most public places in Germany, some of the places where there were German nationals, some of the places where there were immigrants that have, have recently come, but to find very public places, try to draw attention to themselves, and once they had done that, then try to find ways to convey the message and the love and the good news of Jesus to these people. And he had known months in advance he would make the trip. They did lots of training. So Marie and I, of course, and you would do the same thing, Marie and I prayed very much for Justin and for the team. And part of our prayer was, God, work through him, work through them. May there be lives that are touched. May there be people that get this glimpse or maybe even a lightning bolt of Jesus. May, may there be lives changed because of the trip he and his friends are making. And then with every prayer, and if it were your son or daughter or parent or brother or friend, you would pray the same thing. With every prayer, we always prayed and bring him home safely. And, and that was consistent to the run-up. The day that they traveled to Germany, the night that they arrived in Germany was the very night that someone took a truck and drove through the public places of Nice and killed 85 people and wounded several hundred others. And we had been well aware, as you are as well, of, of the um, fragility of, of Europe and the danger that exists there. But when that happened the night of his arrival, I guarantee you that with the very next sunrise, as we prayed that there would be people that would meet Jesus, we prayed with more fervency. And in the end, Father, just bring him back home again. And the next sunrise and the next sunrise and then the fourth sunrise would be the sunrise where on a train just east of Frankfurt and Justin had been on a, a train just west of Frankfurt. On that train, a young man took an ax and, and tried to butcher a number of people and wounded several badly. And we got news of that. And you could imagine with the next sunrise, there was God, please touch lives with more fervency than ever. Please bring our son back home. And with each sunrise until the next to the last day that Justin was there, again, very public places, would be the day that in Munich, Germany, that someone would take a gun and would massacre nine people and wound many others as well. And so with that last day, with that last sunrise, it was with the heightened fervency, God, bring our son home. Do you know what that heartbeat feels like? You've probably been there in one circumstance or another. Some of you have or have had uh, family or loved ones in the military, and they have not been in, at Fort Hood, where the danger is not much greater than what it might be among us, but they've been in harm's way. And if you've had a loved one in the military in harm's way, I am quite certain your heart has been beating. And with every sunrise, you would pray, and, and Father, all the other things I prayed, let me add one more, bring them safely back home again. Or there's some in our crowd that that have loved ones that are in law enforcement. And I'm quite certain that each day your loved one goes off to serve, that with that sunrise, the heartbeat of your prayer is, God, please bring them back home. Or maybe for you, maybe it's been someone that you've loved that's been in the hospital. And you've driven home late at night, or maybe you, you tried to recline in that recliner and spend the night in the room, and, and your prayer, I'm quite certain, was in God, please bring them back home. Do you know that heartbeat? Have you felt the fervency of that? When I became a follower of Jesus three plus decades ago, I, I was uh, blown away by the reality that we can actually meet with God and talk with God. And so the opening days and weeks and months and maybe even the first year or two, I lose track of the time with this, but, but I, would, I would start my day and I would, I would pray to God and, and it would grip me 
how stunning it is that the God of the universe was there. And he was listening, and his full attention was on me, and he heard every word, and he cared, and it mattered. And in those first few months, and again, maybe the first two or three years even, my prayers were, God, please help me and guide me and bless me and all these things. And they were good prayers. There was nothing wrong with those prayers. But somewhere into it, I was praying one morning, and it dawned on me that, that this time I had in conversation with God wasn't a conversation at all. <laughs> it was like a lecture. <laughs> it was like a list. And again, it wasn't bad, but, but it dawned on me. It took a long time, but I'm sitting there early that morning. And it dawned on me, well, I'm always telling God what's on my heart. And I just said, so Jesus, what's on your heart this morning? And with crystal clarity, I heard him say, lost people. Now, I want to put us on the same page because we have very different backgrounds. I had grown up in the church my whole life, even though it took me 30 years to, to get to a point of actually trusting Jesus. I, I knew what he meant when he said lost people. And I'll take you back, give you a snapshot of this. I'll take you back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. Uh, it talks about Adam and Eve, the first man and woman. And it talks about them having this deep, intimate relationship with God. And you could almost uh, sense and feel as you read those first two chapters, it was as though in the cool of the evening, God himself would walk with them and converse with them. And there was this beautiful relationship just as he had intended it to be. And then you turn to chapter three and Adam and Eve sin. And this one single sin destroys the relationship with God. It totally severs this. There's this massive chasm between Adam and Eve and God. And in Jesus' terms, he would say, now they're lost. And they're lost from the relationship with God that they were made for and intended to have. They're lost. They're far from him. In fact, Jesus' coming, the entire purpose of his coming was a mission of reconciliation. His entire reason was to come and, and on a given day to take, to take the weight and the actuality of all the sins of all of mankind for all time upon himself, as though they were his. And then die on a cross to pay the full price for those sins, to, to pay for people's sins, and then rise from the dead and offer them new life. And the way someone gets that, in other words, until then, Jesus says, you're lost. There's this chasm between you and God, you're lost. And, and then the way to have the chasm closed would be for someone to, to trust Jesus to forgive all of their sins and trust Jesus to lead their life. And, and the moment one would do that, Jesus would say, you move from being lost to found. The chasm is closed, and there's this, there's this intimate relationship with God. So the first time I asked Jesus, all this time of praying, God, give me, give me, give me. Not bad prayers. The first time I say, what's on your heart? Instantly, lost people. Didn't surprise me. I forgot about it, went on about my day. I, the next day I'm praying. It dawned on me to ask him again. I, so with that sunrise, I ask him, well, what's on your heart this morning? Lost people. The next sunrise, I ask him again, and it's lost people. And I get this sense, I get this growing sense that with every sunrise, the heartbeat of Jesus is for lost people to find their way back home again. And so I began to look at scriptures with fresh eyes. And I realized that one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told was the story of the prodigal son. And the story, in essence, is that there was this father who loved his son very, very much. And the son has severed the relationship, 
And he's gone off to this far distant land, and he's not just far gone geographically, he's far gone relationally and morally and ethically. He's in this far distant land, and you read the story as Jesus tells it, and you could, you could almost picture with every sunrise, the father is standing on the edge of the porch. He's gazing down the lane, and his heartbeat is that his son will find his way home. And so i beginning to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels about Jesus with fresh eyes. And, and I see in John 4, with that sunrise in John 4, I see it say that Jesus is going to make this trek from Judea, which is in the south, to Galilee that's in the north, and Samaria is in between. And very surprisingly, it says, because he's going from Judea to Galilee, he had to go through Samaria. And what is so stunning about that is that that no respectable Jew would go through Samaria. He would go around Samaria. It says he had to go through Samaria, and you find out why. He, he goes to this little village, and he stops at a well in the village, and there is this lady that is as far from God the Father as one could ever be. And you realize with that, with that sunrise, she was the one on his heart, and, and he went there just for her. And as the conversation unfolds and all, she, she begins to trust her life to him, and the chasm to the Father is closed, and she finds her way home. That's why he's there that day. I find with a different sunrise in, in Luke chapter 8, it says that Jesus left Judea and Israel, the two places that he consistently said, I came to these two places. He leaves those places. He goes east to the land of the Gerasenes, and, and, and you realize that with that sunrise, his heartbeat was for this man that's living in the cemetery. It says he's possessed by demons. He's insane. He's cutting himself. He can't live with people. He is out of his mind. And you find Jesus makes the trek all the way there just for that man. And in the conversation that unfolds, that man trusts Jesus and the, the gaping hole between him and God the Father is closed. And that man goes from lost to found that day. And then you can read about another sunrise in Luke chapter 19, and it says that Jesus made this trek to Jericho, and Jericho is a thriving city, and there are a bunch of great people in Jericho that knew God and loved God the Father. There are so many people to go just hang out with and celebrate with and worship God the Father, but he didn't go for any of them. He goes for a man named Zacchaeus, who is the most renowned sinner in the city. And in conversation that day, Zacchaeus trusts his life to Jesus Relationship with the Father is restored, and Zacchaeus finds his way back home again. And then with another sunrise, you can look in Luke 23. There's this criminal that's hanging on a cross. It's, it's his last chance, his last breath to find his way home. So Jesus occupies the cross next to him and reaches out to him. And before that man's last breath, that man finds his way back home home. Do you realize the heartbeat of Jesus with every sunrise is for lost people to find their way home? That's the heartbeat of Jesus. And this is stunning. In Matthew 18, 14, it says, he says, it is not my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. It is not my father's will even one of these little ones should perish. That means Every single person you've ever crossed paths with is someone that, that Jesus' heartbeat is for or has been for to find their way back home. Every single person. In fact, Jesus says his mission, 
Luke 19.10, he says his mission is this, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. Now, this is, this is uh, even more stunning to me. Matthew 28 that I read. Let me read it one more time in light of that, in light of knowing what matters most to God, where his heartbeat is. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. For what matters most to God, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're his plan A to reach that lost person. You are God's plan A to reach that lost person. Think of your own life, those of you that are followers of Jesus right now. Think of back to your own life. What did God do? How did God reach you? Was it through somebody in your life? Was it through some relationships in your life? I think back about my life. It was two parents that authentically loved and followed Jesus. It took a long time for that influence to influence me, but, but that was profound. I think back for Marie and me, it was a greeter in the church we were at that was so warm and friendly. He and his wife influenced us toward Jesus. It was a, small, a couple leading a small group. It was another couple in that group that befriended us. I mean, God worked through just living, breathing flesh and blood through his plan A. Was it the same for you, those of you that are followers of Jesus? It was through people, wasn't it? And then I realized that God has no plan B. There's no plan B. And I find it staggering. I find it daunting. In one sense, I find it frightening that that we that know Jesus, we are his only plan. And then I better understand why in Matthew 28, he said, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All power is his. And he's saying, I am with you. There's a reason I'm, I'm talking with us as a church about this now. In Christmas, window between Christmas and New Year's, I was off for a week and had some time to uh, let the RPMs go down and, and rest some and some time with God reflecting. As I was looking toward the coming year, I, I was thinking about how as a church, we were at that point, we were 18 years old. We had spent those 18 years... Um, buying some land so we have a place to worship and draw people to God, building a building then to have a place to worship and bring people to God, build another building to worship, bring people to God, and so on and so on. And, and we'd been through 18 years of us actually paying for these, these facilities that God has blessed us with to use. And I was reflecting that, that in 2016, if all went well, by the end of October this year, then everything would be paid for for the first time. And as I was reflecting upon that, I, I felt God say, this is now, this is what I want to have happen now. I felt him say, you realize that there's some empty seats in that building. And I felt him say, I want, I want to fill that place with people that are, that are encountering Jesus, my son, and becoming fully devoted followers of him. I, I've, literally, I want to fill the place. And I was thinking, why else would he have... Why else would we have the, the extra chairs if it wasn't his intent to have them filled? So I spent two or three days reflecting and praying around that, and I had not said anything to Marie, my wife. And out of the blue, one evening she says, I've been praying for the church for there to be 2,200 people every Sunday that, that are coming to know and follow Jesus. And 
if you knew Marie, you would know she's not a numbers person. I mean, that is so out of her wheelhouse. She's not a numbers person. I am very much a numbers person. It's caused great uh, rift and division between us for a long time. I'm the one that would be thinking about numbers, not Marie. And yet she's, she's telling me out of the blue, just out of the blue, in the recent days, she'd been prompted by God to pray that there would be 2,200 people. And I'm staggered standing there because I had done the math. I'd counted the chairs. And to fill this site is 2,200 people. But you don't, you don't jump into doing something like that if, if you've misinterpreted what God's saying. And so in January, uh, in February, I gathered a couple of groups together. We gathered the board together. And I said, I think this is what God's saying. I think this is his intent for us with the season that's going to begin. And with a very brief interval of prayer on the spot, the board conclusively felt the very same thing. And then with some uh, key staff leaders, the, the leaders of every ministry department we have together on a one-day offsite, I said, I, I think this is what God's leading to. But I don't want to be presumptuous. So let's talk and pray. What do you think? And an overwhelming sense. And so we put this, this shortcut phrase on it. We, we began to call this Vision 2200. And, and this is what Vision 2200 means to us. It is this passionate spirit-led effort to fill our facility with people that are encountering Jesus and becoming fully devoted followers of him. Hey, let, let me say that again because every, every word has importance. It is this passionate, and the word passion at its root means that you care about something enough to suffer and sacrifice for it. It is this passionate effort, but it's a passionate spirit-led effort. I, I deeply believe this is the vision of the Spirit of God. It's this passionate, Spirit-led effort to fill the facility, not just fill the facility, but fill the facility with people that are encountering Jesus becoming fully devoted followers of Him. God doesn't care about just filling buildings. That means nothing to Him. But to fill a building with people encountering His Son, Jesus, becoming fully devoted followers, that is the heartbeat of God. And to fill it one life at a time. So if that's if that's God's intent for us, and many of us in this room are followers of Jesus, how does that work? How do you, how do you help, find some, help someone find their way home? It's through relationships. There have been a number of surveys done that say when people have been quizzed about who most influenced you to trust your life to Jesus, 85 to 90 percent have said it's been someone that I've been in a close relationship with, family, friend, coworker, classmate. Something like 10 to 15% have, have said it was a pastor, it was a sermon, it was an evangelist, it was a song. 85 to 90% say it's been through a friend, through a family member. That's how God works. He works through, through relationships. And so this may be helpful to some of you, maybe new to some. Some, it would just be reinforcing. If we were to leave here and say God wants to add several hundred people, and so he'll do it through us, and let's just go, you go save several hundred um, we would probably do nothing because how do, you, how do you touch several hundred people? How do you touch the Bay Area? And so we've adopted what a, a ton of churches have. It's not original to us. I'm not sure where it began. We began talking about many years ago about having a top three, and that meant for a Christ follower to have, have about three people in their life, in a season of life, that God most wanted that Christ follower to influence toward Jesus. Three people that don't yet know him, 
to most influence toward Jesus, to have a top three. Nothing magical about three. It might be two, it might be four, but it won't be 700, but, but something really doable. And, and so um, for some in this room, that would mean you would be sitting there thinking, I, I don't know who the small number might be that God wants me to most influence now. And for you, this would mean to begin to pray with every sunrise, the heartbeat of Jesus, pray who? Who, who in my world, who in my orbits, in my family orbit, my friendship orbit, my work orbit, my school orbit, who in my neighborhood orbit, who might you most want me to influence now in this season, God? And then, and then when you have determined who that is by God's leading, let me give you four very key things. The first is just to pray for those three people with every sunrise. You'll be joining the heartbeat of Jesus as you do. And your prayers probably would be, God, please be at work in their life. Please work in circumstances and people and events in their life. Please uh, penetrate their heart and their mind with the truth of the good news of your son Jesus. It would be those prayers. But it would also be prayers of, of how can I influence. And, and that would mean how could I, this is the second thing, how could I invest in the relationship? I got, what can I do to invest in the relationship now to draw it, make it closer? How can I invest in the relationship? When and what can I invite them to? Where I'm not just trying to be the only voice of faith into their life, but I'm, I'm inviting the whole church to be part of that. To what and when can I invite them to what the church is doing? And along that line, this is not by accident, of course, in two weeks, August 21st, it's the day before school starts. It's one of the three biggest days of the year that if you and I invite a friend to come, they will most likely say yes. There's most likely a yes to it. And so on that Sunday, we start a series called More Every Heart's Desire. And the whole point is it's about Jesus and helping every single person in this room see the stunning beauty of Jesus. And come to know him and worship him. And so strategically, two weeks from today, it's this prime time to invite someone to come. So you pray, you invest, you invite, and then tell. To, to pray and ask, how can, I, how can I tell him about my experience? This is, this is how I came to know him. This is what he's done. And how can I tell them about how they can know him as well? And I'll, I'll, I'll teach more about those two aspects next week about it. Pray, invest, invite, and tell. Do you, do you realize that the stakes on this, uh, they're not life and death, right? You know, that I'm not talking about life and death stuff. Sometimes I wish I were, because I'm talking about heaven and hell stuff. I found myself flinking back to our son's trip to Germany. It would have been unspeakable heartache if our son had not found his way home. Unspeakable. But even that heartache, Marie and I would have known that there was a reunion coming. Our son knows, loves Jesus. Marie and I know and love Jesus. And in the unspeakable heartache, we still would know there's a reunion coming. The heartache will end. But do you realize for God the Father... If there's a son or a daughter that doesn't find their way home by their last breath, there will be no reunion. There will just be unspeakable heartache. 
feel that. Feel the heartbeat of God in that. Feel the fervency, the love in that. Feel the urgency in that. Some good news. Jesus has already done the heavy lifting. You don't have to take your friend's sins upon your life, and you don't have to die on a cross for them, and you don't have to rise from the dead for them. He's already done all the heavy lifting. He literally, whoever your friend or family member or coworker, classmate is, whoever it is, he literally, on a day in history, he's already taken their sins upon himself. He's already died on that cross once and for all. He's already risen from the dead. And the only thing left is for you and for me to bring them to know Jesus, is to make the introduction to Jesus. The heavy listings have been done. 99.99, it's done. And the only thing we have to do, we don't have to take the nails. We just have to bring them to the one that took the nails for them. The late Keith Green He's a profound songwriter and very profound impact in, in Christian music. He would go from church to church and play concerts. And after the concert, was an impassionate man. After the concert was done, he loved the people and he would hang out with the people and mingle with the people. And, and he began to see from church to church to church. He began to understand that there were a lot of people in the building and they were so glad they knew God. They loved God that they knew God, they worshiped God, they thanked God, they blessed God, and most of them never gave a thought to someone who yet hadn't found their way back home, and he saw it time after time after time, and so he wrote this song titled Asleep in the Light, and he wrote it to the church, to the church in general, and there's a line from that song that I have not been able to forget down through the decades. He said, Jesus rose from the dead, and you, you can't even get out of bed. So this is my ask of you, along with me. Tomorrow, when the sun rises, get out of bed and pray. Along with Jesus, for someone or, or someone who don't yet know him, for someone or someone who are lost and haven't found their way back home, and for some of you that don't have a top three to be God, show me. Please, show me. I don't want to be left out of this. Show me. And some of you that have a top three to be tomorrow when the sun comes up, join Jesus and let your heart beat for some, someone who is far from the Father who needs to find their way back home and pray for them tomorrow with the sunrise. And with Tuesday's sunrise, get out of bed again and join Jesus and pray again for them. And Wednesday when the sun rises, get out of bed again and join Jesus and pray again for seven days. With every sunrise, that's what I'm asking of you, with every sunrise for seven days, get up and pray for some who have not yet found their way home and, and let God show you how much it matters to him, how much they matter to him. And then come back here next Sunday and we're going to very clearly, very viscerally witness a glimpse of what it might look like if as a church, if as a whole church, we begin to embrace the heartbeat of Jesus. Because we're going to see in this room, we're going to see an example of what's happened in the past year when some people have reached out to someone who's far from God and that person has found their way back home. And, and then we'll pick up next Sunday and we'll see where God takes us from there. Can you do that? Tomorrow morning when the sun comes up, with tomorrow's sunrise, seven sunrises,
Father in heaven, Father, may we see your heart. May we feel your heart. And as we see and feel your heart, may that become more and more our heart. And may we, may we feel that it's not merely enough that we found our way home, but there are other sons and daughters you love just as much that haven't yet. And to realize that we're the only plan. We're the plan A and there's no plan B. And, and grow our hearts where maybe we start this because it's the sense that we should do it. Maybe we start for that reason. But as we do it, at some point, may our heart become like yours. May we do it just because it matters so much now to us as well. That, that one more son or daughter would find their way home to you. Father, I know there, there's some sons and daughters in this room now that, that haven't yet found their way home. And I pray that they might realize even now that if they can believe the truth that Jesus died for them and rose for them and lives today, that all they need to do is honestly say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you to forgive all my sins. And I'm going to trust you to lead my life. In other words, I will surrender leadership to you. They might know in, in that single whispered authentic prayer that they have made their way all the way back home. May that even be true now in this room, Father. Father, I have a hope and excitement and anticipation of what I think you will do that I rarely have. I'm convinced, Father, that Vision 2200 is your vision. I'm convinced that now is the time. I'm convinced that through us, you will draw lost sons and daughters back home. And I'm equally convinced that apart from us, you won't. Father, take us from here to tomorrow morning, the next seven mornings. I pray with great anticipation in Jesus' name. Amen.